It's an honor to be here with you this morning. I'm grateful for your um, unbelievable pastor, who is a great man, his beautiful wife, his beautiful daughter, his family. Come on, give it up for your pastor. Uh, I never take it lightly to be here and um, share with you. And how many of you were here last year? Matter of fact, how many of you were not here when I preached last year? Raise your hands. I was going to skip my story. Man, I was going to need that time to preach. But I'll do an expedited version of my story because it brings context to my passion and who I am. And the Bible says that we overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so Jesus did his part. He's not dying again. So we partner with that testimony, with our testimony, to silence Satan. The problem is we got to learn how to override the inner conversations we have in our mind. We spend too much time listening to ourselves instead of speaking to ourselves. And the fight is in the mind. The spiritual battle for your life is in your thoughts. If you can change the pattern of how you think, you silence the demons that's assigned to your life. Church, this thing about to wrap up. If you are casual about your faith, you will end up a casualty. We have got to get serious. Satan knows his time is short. He don't know when. So he's bringing all of hell to your life, to your marriage, to your children, to your finances, to your purpose, to your job. Come on, somebody. So we got to get serious. God recruit is recruiting an army, not a social club. The church is not a country club. If you, if you think it is, you are way jacked up. You're in the wrong space. Come on, church. Let me pray. I'm getting too ahead of myself. It's good to be in a house where you can feel faith because of the word. I feel free because your pastor preaches the word. I've been a traveling evangelist for 18 years, and I cannot say that everywhere I go. And that's the truth. So be grateful that your pastor preaches and teaches the word because God is raising a remnant church and it is only birthed from those who hear and receive and do the word. Amen. Are y'all, y'all feel that? He's here. If you ain't feel that, you better auto, you better auto tune. He's here. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much once again. Holy Spirit, I invite you in this place. You will not be grieved. You will not be offended. I give you complete reign and authority. Holy Spirit, I ask you to articulate the Father's heart through my voice to your people. I pray that every ear is open, every heart is open, every mind is open to receive that which you have for us. So I humbly ask you, just as Pastor Craig asked, to invade this space. It is not by might. It is not by power, but it is by your spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm originally from Chicago, born and bred. I grew up on the south side of Chicago in a housing project called Argyll Gardens, where my grandmother raised nine kids as a single mother on welfare. And my grandma did the best she could with what she had, uh, but she struggled. And when I was 10 months old, my mother was murdered at the age of 17. So my mom had my brother at 14, had me at 16, She was shot in the head at 17. I've never met my father. Don't know who he is. I just turned 42 Monday, and I cannot tell you who my dad 
is last Monday. And um, so I completely rebelled. My uncle was murdered at 17. My aunt was murdered at 28. And so my grandmother, after raising nine kids, four died. She raised nine grandbabies. So I slept three to a bed. And no one in my family finished high school. No one went to college. I wasn't made to go to school, but there was two reasons why I went. Number one, I got a free meal. Come on, somebody. I was on a hot lunch plan. I knew if I went to school, I would eat because there were times I would come home where I'm hustling, eating syrup sandwiches, sugar sandwiches, powdered milk. You guys know it's real when you got to cut your own cheese. Come on, somebody. Y'all spoil. Y'all got cheese slices. My kids are spoiled. But I about cut my fingers off cutting block cheese. Come on. But I knew if I went to school, I would eat. I sat in the back of the classroom because I would steal kids' lunches out of their book bags so that I could have school to eat after, have food to eat after school. And so I completely rebelled. My desk sat next to the teachers. I was a kid that was suspended. I was the kid that was in trouble. So the first reason why I went to school, I got a free meal. The second reason why I went to school is I love gym class. Come on. Go no P.E. We went to gym. Old school red dodgeball print to the face gym class. They got the, these Tickle Me Elmo dodgeballs now. Remember dodgeball day was fight day? You know what I mean? You got, I got in a fight every dodgeball day. But I loved gym. I picked up a basketball, and for me, it became an escape of reality. It didn't matter that I was hurting, I felt abandoned, the dirty kid on the block. When I got a ball in my hand, you can hold me. So it really became a huge part of my life. My desk sat next to the teachers. I was a kid that was suspended. I was in a gang by 11 and selling crack cocaine by the age of 14. I began to repeat the same things in which I saw. Long story short, I went through high school. I was a four-year starter. My high school was 2,500 kids, and I was the man. No free, I was the man. I could do whatever I wanted with whoever I wanted, uh, but nobody told me at the end of popularity was emptiness. I was turning about king, homecoming court, prom court. I was a starter on the basketball team. And I was doing things that I thought would fill the void in my heart. But the truth is the void only got bigger. So when you do not deal with your traumatic childhood, you bleed it on someone else. So that's what I did. And so I was broken and empty at 18. I was being recruited to go away and play basketball. I always wanted to leave Chicago. I was at Giver Brother a scholarship to Alaska, send me to Africa, I would go hoop anywhere. I ended up scoring a 14 on my ACT. How many think you can go to college with a 14? Raise your hand. You better not raise your hand. You chilling with me at community college. Ain't nothing wrong with a community college. But if you don't put in the work, you don't get the success. And so I didn't put in the work. I did it on the court, but did nothing in the classroom. And so I ended up taking a scholarship to a community college. I played one year of basketball there. And when I was 19 years old, I had an encounter that changed my life. I didn't encounter religion. I didn't encounter church. I encountered a person. See, salvation is not an event. It's a person. Have you ever wondered why Paul told Timothy that the love of many will grow cold in the last day and many will turn away from the faith? Because they encounter religion. See, religion is man's attempt to reconcile themselves to God. There's nothing you can do to reconcile yourself to God. Jesus did it all. So a relationship comes, come on somebody, when you encounter him. And that's what I did. And so I encountered Jesus. My life was rocked inside out, upside down, turned around, do the hokey pokey the whole nine. Come on. So I ended up finished getting an associate's degree from that community college. Transferred, got my bachelor's degree, got my master's degree. I'm the first in my family ever to attend college. 
and get a degree. Come on. I've been married for 13 years. I got four beautiful kids. My wife and I, the last eight years, served as the team chaplains to the Cincinnati Bengals. We recently transitioned June 1. We're now marriage and family pastors in Greenville, South Carolina. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Come on, somebody. But we all have a story. We try and compare our stories. But the truth is, we've all, we've all been in offense to a holy God. And our story become part of his story when we accept his story. Which that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It does not matter how you start in life. It only matters how you finish. Come on. Well, we've been in a series about what? Relationships. It's what? Complicated. So I'm going to continue that, and I'm grateful that I get to end this thing. Come on, somebody. So Pastor Craig's like, we got to bring somebody here that's loud and brown. Come on, me I like chocolate on your ice cream. Come on, somebody. <laughs> And so relationships are complicated because two people are in them. We mess everything up. Come on. So I got four points. I'm not going to do an introductory. I'm just going to get right into this thing. So the title of my message is It Gets Complicated When. It gets complicated when. Number one, it gets complicated when you don't date to character, when you don't date to character. So I'm going to hit on single people, married people, and divorced people. Um, like I said, we've been doing marriage, really marriage for 10 years. Eight were pro athletes and now at a local church. And um, I'm seeing this continual trend. There's an attack on marriage. But the reason how, why most marriages don't last is because we don't prepare for it in singlehood. Never complain about what you permit. Never complain about what you permit. So if you are single in this room, which there is no curse to being single. If you feel single and that's your thing, do your thing. But you can't be out here wilding out. Come on, somebody. You got to sit your butt down. Don't let the burden of being single stop you from pursuing God. The greatest thing you could do in your singlehood is to garner, establish, lay a foundation of your relationship with God because that's the greatest asset you will need when you get married. So you date to character. In the dating phase, you got to recognize that who you attach yourself to will determine where you go. Come on, somebody. Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says this. You guys know this. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. Let me stop. Character. Character is your moral compass with a determined decision to make the right choices no matter the circumstances. Why is it that you need to date the character? Because the real person who you're going to marry is really going to reveal themselves. Nobody show you they junk. And doing the dating phase, come on, shorty about to have perfume, hair going to be done every day. The biggest revelation in my marriage is I did not realize my wife left her clothes in the bathroom floor. 
Come on, somebody. That shocked me. I ain't know that before we got married. Come on. Because we did it the right way. You don't test the product in marriage. Did you hear me? You don't get the test sexually. If you don't do it God's way, you don't get God's best. So there's a mystery to marriage. Have you ever wondered why God put Adam to sleep? <laughs> Listen, this is God. He blew his nostril and split the Red Sea. He causes light to come from nowhere. Come on. He formed the world and the heavens, plural. He didn't have to put Adam to sleep. That brother could have been wide awake during surgery. Come on, somebody. You ever wonder why he put that brother to sleep? Because he wanted him to really figure out who Eve really was. Did you hear me? He wanted Adam to pursue this wombed man, woman, man with the womb. You got to pursue your wife. I'm skipping my point. <laughs> Listen, if you're single, don't rob the mystery and adventure sexually. BET lying. All these romantic comedies lying. You get so amped up on what you watch that you forget reality. Your husband ain't never going to have a six pack. I'm sorry. He ain't going to have it. Some of y'all husbands do, but most of us don't. I used to. Come on, somebody. I don't know where that brother went. He left and just, I've been looking. That brother alone. I got a GPS and everything. Come on. But ladies, don't, if you single, stop filling your head with what's not real. And find out the character of who he really is. Because who he really is will determine what will happen to your marriage. In this psalm, David has given us some keys here. Look at the progression of this individual. He said, if you want to be blessed, your character, you can't be walking, standing, and sitting. Look at the digression of this person. At first, he was walking with ungodly counsel. That ungodly counsel called him to stand with sinners. Then it caused him to sit in the seat of the scornful. When you decide to marry, in the dating process, they are somewhere. You better find out where they at. And the given is they better love Jesus. Stop missionary dating. It's a joke. Listen, if you got married to think you're going to change your spouse, you are deceived. If God can't change them, what makes you think you can? Come on. But early, we don't teach people. I went to a Christian school. Chapel, three days a week. The divorce rate on our campus is 75%. You have to prepare. We prepare for everything else. Why do we go to school to prepare for a career? But we don't encourage single people to prepare for marriage. Oh, it's just how you feel. Your feelings change. Anybody here been married to know your feelings change? It ain't about how you feel. Your feelings will deceive you. So that first six months, you're on 10. 
After one week of texting, you think you're in love. Come on, somebody. Love is a choice. And that choice is tested when that person really reveals who they are. Right? So here are a few questions to ponder if you're single in this room, in your dating relationship. How does he or she treat their parents? I knew I could marry my wife because of how she treated her dad. Oh, it's quiet in this room. If she is disrespectful to her daddy, what makes you think she ain't going to be disrespectful to you? That's her daddy. If he's disrespectful to his mama, the woman who birthed him, what makes you think he's going to be respectful to you? How does he or she treat their parents? How do they respond to pressure? See, character is only revealed under pressure. When the bills are hard to meet, when the account is low, how does he respond? It ain't going to change when you say, I do. You got to try and figure these things out now. It ain't about him being swollen, cut. Listen, it ain't about her being fit. Oh, that's going to change. Gravity is going to catch us all. Come on, somebody. Time ain't fed to nobody. That's why all these people out of L.A. spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight gravity. You better love yourself. If you got a little extra meat on the bone, then blessed be the name. I love my wife, Jack. Come on. You better love where you are because it's the character that matters. I knew I could marry my wife because I knew she had a sensitive spirit to the things of God. My God, it blessed me. She's a loyal friend. It blessed me. I figured her character out very early. Another question. What's their attitude towards money? Why we don't talk about money in marriage? You got to start now if you're dating. If that brother always coming to you asking you for money, you better run. If he ain't got no job, run. Yeah, let me get another Venmo. Brother, my Venmo is deleted. Can you cash at me? No, you better cash app yourself. How does she handle money? This is, I'm preaching better than y'all saying amen. Do they get along with your friends? You got to bring that person around whom your friends are so you can get a gauge of, are they going to be cool? Come on. A lot of strife happens in marriage because one or the other attached to people who should never be there. Well, I've been knowing them since third grade. Well, they toxic and they're going to ruin your marriage. But it starts now. What are they passionate about? Passion is not an attitude. It's a revealing of the Spirit of God coming out of you. Man, people say, Lamar, she's so passionate. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm actually chill mode. I can chill. For real. I run so much. My, my in-laws live in the country. So when we would drive from Chicago, lived in Chicago, we would drive there. I get there, and my brother-in-law's like, why are you just sitting here? Let's do it. Bro, I'm tired. 
I'm in the country. I grew up in the city. There's sunshine, sun and green grass and horses. <laughs> but I ain't grew up with no horses. Only time I saw horses when the police was riding them. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but when they began to get to know me and see my passion, they understood why. This is what I've been designed to do. Basketball is great, and I was really good, but it ain't my passion. This is my passion. You better figure out what he or she is passionate about. Come on. Y'all with me? Online, y'all with me? Another question. Do they have a mentor? Who's speaking into their life? Because whatever advice they're getting is going to spill off in your marriage. Encourage them to get a mentor. This practical, Pastor. We don't even... Come on, y'all. Jesus mentored 70 dudes. You don't think their marriages was better? Come on. Discipleship is not optional for the believer. So if he's not being discipled, if she's not being discipled, put a halt. Don't let your emotions get ahead of principle. Are they willing to sacrifice for the kingdom? Come on. I remember when I set my then girl I wanted to marry down. We didn't really get the date. For some <laughs> extinguishable bootleg crazy circumstances. But I remember sitting her down and, I, and I, I, was, I was prayed up with this question. I said, I know for a fact I'm called to preach the gospel. I know that. I don't know how, when. I know I'm going to be traveling. Are you willing to marry me knowing this is my call? Her answer would have predicted if I would have continued to pursue her. If she would have said no, I would have had to let her go. It is thick in this room. We have a mandate to go and preach the gospel. It's not an option. So your spouse, significant other, fiance, if they're not tied to the mission, it's going to be a weight on your life. Oh, it's quiet in this church. It gets complicated when you don't date to character, but it doesn't have to be. Come on, y'all. Number two, it gets complicated when you view marriage as a contract and not a covenant. It gets complicated when you view marriage as a contract and not a covenant. Covenant marriage was designed by God, not by men. God set the standard for marriage, not men. Are y'all with me? The world deals in contracts. The kingdom deals in covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is an all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly outlined perimeters and promises. It is a mutual understanding between two persons who bind themselves together with specific obligations to fulfill. That's from James Garlow's book, The Covenant. Let me read that again. It's an all-encompassing agreement between two parties with clearly outlined perimeters and promises. 
It is a mutual understanding between two persons who bind themselves together with specific obligations to fulfill. The moment you said, I do, you entered a covenant for life. Covenant, actually the root word of covenant also means to cut. Oh, y'all, I'm about to preach. Blood is the marital qualification for marriage. Did you know that? The lamb was slain. He wasn't jailed. He didn't die of pneumonia. He was cut. Did not God cut animals for Abraham? Come on, somebody. Did not the whole world die for Noah? What about Adam? The moment he cut his rib, blood spilled. God designed woman to have a hymen so on their married night, blood can seal the marriage. Oh, it's quiet in this church. In covenantal marriage, you die to get in and you die to get out. If you're not willing to die to yourself, your marriage going to suck. That's right. That's right. It's going to suck. You got to die to you. Covenant was God's idea. I have an iPhone. If I want to know the true design of this iPhone, I am not going to go to Bill Gates. Brother, I'm going straight to Steve Jobs' crib. Brother, I need to know your intent for why you designed this thing. Don't you know he can give me a greater understanding? If you want to have a greater understanding of covenant marriage, you got to go back to the intent and why God designed it. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. Pause. God said, Adam, you are tripping. Imagine Adam watching all these animals do their thing. He's like, hold up. There's something intriguing about that. God was like, oh, snap, Jesus, he didn't figure it out. <laughs> this brother cannot be alone. Man, fellas, how many of y'all know we should not be alone? If this was a marriage conference, I would, a men's conference, I would go in right now. It's not good for us to be alone. God knew that. So he gave us a protection plan, our spouse, but we don't like accountability. You know why the world hates God? Because he keeps them accountable to their sin. You know why we love God? Because Jesus paid the price for our sin. It's not good. Ain't nothing good with you being alone, brother. I have to learn to adopt. Some principles. Cause I, listen, y'all. I, yo, brother had issues and still working through some. Come on. There were some things God delivered me from when I got saved, and there's still things that I am being delivered from. And I thank God for understanding wife. Listen, Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. And there sometimes it takes a season for your life to catch up to what Jesus did in your heart. 
but that's no excuse not to change. I know I ain't perfect. So God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make, everyone say make. Make. I will make him a helper comparable to him. If you don't believe God made your spouse, you missed it. And everything God made is well, you don't know what she said to me. <laughs> you don't know what he did. Well, until you see them the way God does. Yep. Yep. Come on. Yep. Genesis 2, 21 and 24. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. Come on, y'all. This was God's idea. Adam didn't reach up to God and say, yo, God, I need somebody. No. God was instituting something here. Come on. Adam had a revelation when he saw her. Come on. This is now, I can see. Yo, do you? I am convinced, Pastor. (laughs) That when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to replay and see all these things. I believe it. See, we on the earth is bound by time. So we can't rewind. God sits outside of time. Are you with me? He is not surprised about who you married. Sometimes you are like, man, I... That's you for real. You did that. God saw something. Do you know marriage is the only walking picture of the earth between God's relationship with man? In the garden, God was instituting salvation. Adam sinned, God killed something and covered them. Isn't that exactly what he did with Jesus? This is why you do covenant and not a contract. It's bigger than you. Adam looked at Eve and was like, my God, my God. This is Lamoris Crawford translation. Look at Shorty. Mm-mm-mm. I did. She came from me. That's bone of my bone. Flesh of my... Shorty! <laughs> the reason why there's no fire in your marriage is because you don't keep the honey in the honeymoon. Ladies, you have got to stop looking at the mirror and stop seeing who you're not. That insecurity affects your husband. But it don't help if you ain't telling her she's beautiful. Your words shape the image of your spouse. I don't know if it was music soul child that said, I don't care if you gained a little weight, I still love you. I don't care if your hair turned a little gray, I still love you. Come on, somebody. If you married her because of what she looked like, you missed it. Now, that's a part of it. But it ain't everything. Catch this. 
Adam saw her, had a revelation of who she was. Listen to this. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. This next verse, pastor, is the craziest verse in the Bible to me. A wedding ceremony just happened. Do you know that's what that was, right? I am convinced that the Holy Spirit did the ceremony. God walked Eve and Jesus was the best man. As a matter of fact, I got a girl painting that for me. They were all there. Let us make man in our image. They were all there. So then this verse makes no sense today. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. What? Adam and Eve ain't had no parents. It was an insurance policy. Some of y'all marriages being impacted because you've allowed your in-laws to have a voice. It's like a lawyer being present at a contract signing. Oh, it's quiet in here. So a marital covenant has to do with blood, perimeters, principles that you abide by in a sacrificial way. A contract is a written or spoken agreement, especially one concerning employment, sales, or tenancy that is intended to be forced by law. Did you see anything about marriage in that definition? Agreement, employment, sales, tenancy. We treat our marriage like it's a sales appointment. What can you do for me? You haven't done this in three months. I'm out. No, 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 no. According to the world, contracts are meant to be broken. All contracts have expiration dates. Contracts can't legislate morality. Contracts are self-fulfilling. Do you see the difference? It gets complicated when you treat your marriage like a contract. And not a covenant. God intended covenant for marriage. A covenant is more than just an agreement. It's an unbreakable commitment that creates a secure environment in which a man and a woman can grow intimately deeper without the threat of being violated. Covenant. Not in a contract. When you sign a contract, you just hope the other person keep. Come on, somebody. Covenant. Do you know God sacrificed himself to be in a covenant relationship with you? If you want a marriage, life itself is already complicated. Don't make it worse. Just abide by what God says the parameters are for marriage and do your very best through the power of the Holy Spirit to live it. Because if you try on your own, you're going to fail. Come on. It gets complicated when you don't date to character. It gets complicated when you do contract and not covenant. Number three, it gets complicated when bitterness takes root in your heart because of divorce. It gets complicated when bitterness takes root in your heart because of divorce. Almost 50% of all marriages in America will end in divorce or separation. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of all third marriages end 
in divorce. The U.S. has the sixth highest divorce rate in the world. Every 42 seconds, there is one divorce in America. That equates to 86 divorces per hour, 2,046 divorces per day, 14,364 divorces per week, and 746,971 divorces per year. There are nearly three divorces in the time it takes a couple to recite their wedding vows. More than 172 divorces occur during your typical romantic comedy movie. 430 divorces happen during the average wedding reception. Listen, divorce is real. If you've been divorced in this room, I pray that God heals you. It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't his will. Many people, listen, we mess it up. See, the true mark of maturity in your walk with God is when you see God for his character and not through your circumstances. See, we early in our walk, we would see a circumstance and say, oh, God is blank. But when you really get in a relationship with him and you know his character is not based on what I see, I know he is faithful. So if whatever is not producing in my life, I got to go back and see, am I living and doing the word? Is this a test? Come on, because he tests us. Am I being testized or is this an attack from the enemy? You got to learn how to discern the seasons that you're in. And let me say, divorce is not God's will. It's not. But it's real. You know, Jesus talked about divorce. You know that? Isn't it amazing that everything we deal with, Jesus talked about? No, for real. Like, like if you're really dealing with stuff, you got to go back and see what Jesus said about it. Come on, he's in every book. Jesus is on every page in the Bible. Well, Pastor Morris, I don't know if you read Leviticus. <laughs> every offering is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Well, what about in Genesis? Well, he's the seed of the woman. What about Exodus? He's a pillar of fire by night. What about numbers? Well, he's a serpent on the pole. Oh, y'all want me to keep going? He's in every book. He has something to say about what you're going through. The problem is we are listening to Oprah before Jesus. Oh, we are watch The View. We will binge watch CNN or Fox, whatever your preference is. None of it matters. There are no Democrats in heaven, no Republicans. There are no black people. Ain't no white people, no Asian people. We are in the spirit in heaven. What color is spirit? So if you racist in this room, you better pray you don't live next door to me. Because I'm going to be frying chicken all day. I'm going to have a full court basketball rim, music outside my house. Come on, somebody. 
Get over it now. But Jesus has something to say about divorce. Let me read this and I'm almost done. This is Matthew 19, starting at verse one. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes, everyone say great multitudes. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. Does Jesus heal? Absolutely. The question is, can we believe for it? Are we going to watch some documentary? The Pharisees also came to him. Isn't it amazing how the, the Bible was so detailed? We got great multitudes. And then it distinctively tells us the Pharisees. It's amazing how God always puts a line through religion. Oh, y'all. Are y'all with me? The Pharisees also came to him testing. Everyone say testing. And saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Everyone say any reason. Now, isn't it amazing? I don't know about you, but I believe every space, every word in the Bible was designed specifically by the Holy Spirit. When you read your Bible, you got to pray before you open it and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate the text to you. I don't know how many times I've read this, but for any reason, there's no excuse for you to get a divorce. Are y'all hearing me? He asked a specific question. Are y'all with me? Is it lawful for a man to get his, a divorce from his wife for any reason? Are y'all with, do y'all get excited about God's word as you do the shows you watch? Or the sports you watch? Or the knitting you do? Or whatever it is you do. Verse 4. And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Well, that's the first parameter for covenant marriage is between who? Not according to the world. See, if you don't know your Bible, you'll get sucked in. They're in love. That ain't love. Oh, it, it just got super quiet. The definition of marriage, Jesus just said, he, he clearly defined it. Are y'all with me? Yeah. Do you believe God's word, word or do you believe the world's word? All right, I got to keep going. I got to hurry up. Y'all about to put a countdown clock. <laughs> All right, let me hurry. And he said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning? Everyone say the beginning made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, everyone say therefore. Therefore. What God has joined together, let no man separate. So listen, there isn't any reason on the planet to why you should get divorced. Now, if adultery happens, you still have a choice. Because in the Old Testament, it was law. Now it's grace. So there's forgiveness for that. 
right? You have a choice. Do you have an out? Yes, but you still have a choice. For any reason. Come on, y'all with me? Let me just finish the text. Then they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness, hardness of whose heart? Your heart. See, we mess it up. But see, if you marry someone who's born again, didn't, doesn't the text say he takes out the heart of stone? And he gives us what? A heart of flesh. What did he say to Nicodemus? A man must be born what? Again, that, that Greek understanding is you get a new heart. Because of the hardness of our hearts. The law was instituted to reveal to you how much a sinner you really is. Grace was introduced to us to let us know just how righteous we really are. Romans 5, 6, 7, 8. Just read it on your own time. The whole, all those. He said to the Moses, because the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. This is Jesus. And marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife. Now, out of everything Jesus said, they focus on the last part. I wonder who was remarried among the disciples. I wonder if this Peter. Nah. Peter like, yo, Peter was a joke. Hey, that dude. It probably was Judas. Anyway, um, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, is it better not to marry? But he said to them, all cannot accept the saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who was able to accept it, let him accept it. In other words, what is Jesus saying? There's a path and a will, and part of our will plays a part in that path. If you feel you don't want to get married, by all means, even Paul said, brother, bless you. But he was saying it to the effect that it just makes ministry easier. That's the context of why Paul said it. Come on, somebody. He said, now there are some eunuchs who was made by man, right? Daniel, right? Meshach, Reshach, and Abednego, they were in captivity and made eunuchs. Then he said, there's some people born. They, I, we, I know a woman from college who was an RD for 30 years. She's now 60-something, has never been married. And she felt that was her calling. She gave her life to serving girls, college girls, for 30 years on the campus. Y'all with me? That makes sense what I'm saying? So it gets complicated. If you've been divorced in this room, that if you allow bitterness to enter your heart, it stunts your growth. That's my point. But I wanted to give the context of the scripture because we, some churches just don't. And if this isn't what guides your life, then there's no hope for you and I. You ain't that cool. You ain't that rich. Your swag ain't that deep. Your house ain't that big and your car ain't that cool. You need Jesus. So let me give you really quick. I'm going to make this. I'm going to give you three keys of being free of bitterness if you've been divorced in this room. Number one, you got to look through the person who offended you. Notice what I said. You got to look through them. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Look through them. Right? Remember Jesus, right? Jesus on the cross in Luke 23 says, what father forgive them for they know not what they do. That's amazing that Jesus 
did that. So he looked through Judas, the disciples who betrayed him, the disciples who abandoned him, Herod, Pilate, Barabbas, the Jewish people who put him on a cross, the centurion soldiers who nailed him and beat him, you and me. He looked through you. All of your weaknesses, all of your sin, he looked right through you. If you've been divorced, you got to look through that person. Don't look at them. Forgive them for they know not what they do. Number two, you got to choose love. Love is an act of the will. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Agape love is the love that we strive for. Not storge. Come on, somebody. Not phileo. All those loves are cool. But agape love is a love that's lavished on others, whether they deserve it or not. Isn't that exactly what God did to us? We didn't deserve it. John 3, 16. And then number three, you got to stay optimistic. The way you stay free of bitterness is you got to stay in faith. Faith, by its very definition, is optimistic. Right? Now faith is. When is it? Yesterday? Now. Guess what? It's always now. What is it? It's the substance of things hoped for. We go over in church and people get antsy. But with Ben's watch a whole series. I just felt something in this room. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith itself is hope. So if you've been hurt, whether you caused it or you were the bearer of it, you got to choose hope. You got to choose love. You got to look through them. Amen. My last point, and I'm done. It gets complicated when you don't have a relationship with Jesus. (laughs) It gets complicated when you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Am I supposed to call y'all back up? Worship team, are y'all coming up to do another song? Is that the plan? Is that on the schedule? All right, come on. Y'all can move y'all way up. Come on. This is my transition. I don't know how many closings Pastor Craig has, but. It's only my second one. I get three by default because I'm black. Come on, somebody. (laughs) It gets complicated when you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Y'all know this story. Mark 10, 17, as the band comes. It's the rich young ruler, right? He comes to Jesus. He knelt down before him. On the outside, that brother looked humble, right? Good teacher. What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said, man, you know. First of all, don't call me good. There's none good, none but God. You ain't good. There's no good person. You know, people say there's a good. No, they sinners. They need to repent. Unless a person repents, they cannot be born again. There's none good. There's a lot of good people in hell. Because our righteousness to him is as filthy rags. We need his. He gives us a new garment. You ain't good. You need Jesus. Because the motives that your friends can't see, God does. And God won't let one little white lie in heaven. Well, I don't steal. I never killed nobody. Have you ever stole a pencil? They can't make it to heaven. Jesus, why do you call me good? None is good but one. That's God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. In there 10? I thought it was 10. 
Jesus met them right where he was at. Stop judging people. Just meet them where they at. Your neighbor's loud, meet them where they at. Teenagers walking in with their head backwards, smelling like weed, meet them where they at. The girl sleeping around, meet her where she at. Pregnant before marriage, meet her where she at. Stop judging people. So then this dude get pumped. He said to Jesus, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. Yeah, let's go. I'm in there. Well, let's read the ones that he didn't keep. You shall not have no other gods before me. I wonder if money was a god to him. You should not make for yourself a carving image. I wonder what he had on the mantle in his house. Maybe it was mammon. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Maybe he worked too much. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Oh. See, the problem is he had money and he made it an idol. And it stopped his relationship with Jesus. See, life is complicated for this brother. What about you? What's between you and the cross? What's between you and eternity? What's between you and your name being written in the Lamb's book of life? Well, I never drank. I never smoked. I was a virgin when I got married. I don't steal. I never killed nobody. Well, is there unforgiveness in your heart? Is there bitterness wrapped around your heart? See, life gets complicated if we don't put Jesus first. He does not desire to be number one on a list of 10. He desires to be number one on a list of one. So where are you? Life itself is complicated and it will be to the day you die. But when you walk with Jesus, he gives you a peace through the complication. He gives you wisdom through the trial. He gives you patience in the marriage. He gives you understanding for the rebellious child. See, Jesus can do everything for us in which the things we can't do for ourselves, but you got to yield to him. Let me pray. Every head bow, every eye closed. I don't know where you are. I don't know if life is complicated for you. Marriage is complicated. Finances are complicated. Kids are complicated. Your job is complicated. Maybe, maybe you got an emotional trauma that's complicated. Maybe you got mental health that's complicated. Let me present a solution. Jesus. If you never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I'm just going to simply give you an opportunity. So I'm going to give you a prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. The magic is in the faith. All you have to do is believe. Believe on him and you shall be saved. The Bible said you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. All my online people, by faith, you are saved by grace. So pray this after me. Let's all pray this as a family. But for those who don't know Jesus, I need you to mean it in your heart. Say, Father in heaven, I recognize that I am a sinner in need of a savior. Jesus Christ, I ask you to forgive me of all my sin. I believe that you came to the earth. You bore my sins on the cross. You were buried in the grave. Yet you rose again on the third day for me. In you, Jesus, I put my trust. I put my life and I put my future in your hands. Holy Spirit, fill me to overflowing. In Jesus' name, amen.
Man, God bless you.